Neil and I were talking uh, just before the, the service uh, around 9.45, and I was like, Neil, I just don't have an intro. There's, there's nothing to say. How am I going to get him interested in, in listening to me? Uh, here's what the sermon's about. And, and Neil's like, oh, just stop. Oh, that's easy. I was like, <laughs> you do it. Uh, <laughs> He says, well, uh, so I'm saying, I'm saying, okay, if there's anything I want the people to remember uh, at the end of the sermon, it's, it's this. It's, it's the difference between how we so often want God to save us and the way God wants to save us. There's this major discrepancy where we say, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is, this is where I need to be rescued. And, and sometimes there's a discrepancy where God says, that's not what I'm doing today or this week, or this month, or this year, or this next 20 years, uh, I have something else that's going on. And Neil says, Tom, all you have to do is think about your marriage. I was like, okay. He's like, so early on in my marriage, I found out that so many times I would be feeling frustrated or, or, or angry, um, maybe sad, hurt, and I didn't know, I, I, just, I just felt this way, and, and, and I, was, I was lashing out and being a terrible husband. This only happened to Neil. I've, I've never done anything like this. Um, and, and Casey would, would, would sit down with me, and she'd begin asking me questions, and she'd begin talking to me, and begin sort of, sort of probing, digging beneath the surface, right? Uh, well, okay, so you, you're saying you're upset about this, but, but maybe, there's something, maybe there's something deeper. Maybe there's something else going on. And Neil said, I, I, I find, I found that over the course of the marriage, this has happened again and again, that I think I know what's wrong and what needs to change. I think I know what I need. And it takes her to sit me down and, and to, to shake me by the shoulders and to ask questions gently, kindly, uh, in order to reveal to me what I didn't know was true about myself. And I suspect that, that most of us here have experienced something like that. I, I know that, that I have. As soon as he said it, it was like, oh, yes, indeed. How many times have I looked back on my life where I knew exactly what was wrong, what needed to be fixed, how to deal with everything, and then I just, you know, life sort of happens, and then I looked back and realized, wow, I was completely wrong the whole time. I'd give some examples, but they're pretty embarrassing and we, don't, we just don't want to go there. Uh, but sur- surely you understand what, what, where I'm coming from. Um, uh, hopefully the elders have been, uh, have been or I'm sorry, the, uh, the ushers have been passing out uh, note sheets today. You'll notice that you got two sheets. Uh, there's going to be quite a bit of text. We're going to be looking at Psalm 118 today. We're going to be looking at, at John 12. We're going to be looking at Zechariah 9. We're going to be all over the place in the scriptures. Um, don't get lost in anything. Keep your mind focused, focused on that difference. Here's what I think I need. How is that different from what God thinks I need? And if you just stay with that, I think this hopefully will, will all come together. But what we have, if we, Psalm 118, if you, if you look in the, in the scriptures, uh, in the Pew Bibles, for example, um, most translations just have it as a block of text. Uh, most people think that Psalm 118 was actually a uh, sort of responsive worship service. Um, uh, it, it was probably a part of a temple worship service, and that'll be um, in, your, uh, in your notes 
the first uh, blanks in your notes. The idea would be that a, a conquering hero, uh, a, a powerful general, or somebody who had done great things for the people would, would, would be entering into either the city or the temple. Yes? And uh, amazing things had happened. Everyone was excited. And so there would be this, this ritual that would take place where an, there would be a number of speaking parts. Uh, and you'll notice that I've, I've, I've outlined them there. If, you're, if you are going to be doing one of the speaking parts, could we just maybe have you start coming forward right now? If you're, if you're, you all have a speaking part. Even if you haven't been, been singled out, you'll notice that there's in bold congregation. That's you. So we're going to have to... I'm, I'm going to be the priest today. Uh, maybe, Dad, you can be priest with me. We only have one line. All right. Uh, oh, or, yeah. Uh, Dan, your testimony, because Dan gave a testimony today. So he's going to be the person doing the testimony. Doug is our worship leader. So he'll be the worship leader. Yeah, and the really great... Really great close there. Uh, obviously, obviously, Will's going to be the king um, because, I mean, just look at this guy. I was actually thinking last night I had this great idea where I, what I was going to do is I was going to get somebody to come in on a donkey. And I was thinking, who, who would be the best person? This is at 1030 at night. Oh, terrible. I was like, Scott Eichler. He kind of looks like a king, right? I, lo- that, I, I, could, I could obey him. If I had to. So I was going to get a, a donkey. We have the kids with the palm leaves, and I was going to have Scott recite the king lines. But then I realized, A, he's not going to be here today. B, it's 1030, and I don't know anyone who owns a donkey. So this is the closest that we're going to get to that. And Will, you're, you're, just, you're filling in. You're, you're the second most kingly man in the, uh, in the congregation. I, I had Neil trying to do it, but he, he was like, no, not going to happen. Uh, so, so imagine, if you will, if you will, that, uh, that, that Will, Will has just led Israel's armies uh, to a great victory in the field, yes, and, and he's now returning to Jerusalem, um, and there's a, there's a ceremony that's going to take place where he, as the leader of, of Israel's armies, is going to uh, make a, a sacrifice of thanks and praise to God for God's faithfulness. Uh, so he'll, he'll probably have... There would probably be some attendants, and they would have the animal, and, and they would, they would uh, tussle up the animal. And at the very end, right after this happens, Will would place the animal on the altar. And you'll even hear that. I think uh, the worship leader is going to tell you a little bit about that. And then a sacrifice would be made for the, the whole people. All right, so, guys, I'm um, going to need you to stand up. This is, this is our tradition when we read the scripture, stand up. Uh, you all are the congregation. My father and I will be the priests uh, Doug, you're the worship leader. Dan, you're going to give your second testimony. And uh, Will, you're going to be the king. All right, so, Doug. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Wait, stop, 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 Doug. Really? Okay. Wait, no. <clears throat> Seriously, look, let's, let's all be honest. Doug does an amazing job. He is so passionate <laughs> as a worship leader. He's always giving his heart. Just because you're reading scripture doesn't mean you can stop that. Okay. Okay? So yeah. I want you to really feel it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say. His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say. Out of my distress, I called out. I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in, the, in a broad place. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in mortals. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surround me. 
In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me, surround me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me like bees. They blazed like, like a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. Right hand of the Lord is exalted. Right hand of the Lord does value. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us life. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Praise God, amen. Amen. Uh, so, so when we do it that way, hopefully you can hear it. You can actually hear the procession as it comes. And then there's that point where, uh, where the king stands outside the gate uh, of the city or possibly of the temple and says, you know, open the gates of the righteous. And the worship leader may be standing up um, on, on the walls, looking down, calling out to the congregation, you know, he's here, open the gates, let him in. Right? And you can imagine the king coming forward. And, and right then the, the, the worship leader uh, says, bind the festal procession with branches. Maybe um, put together uh, the, uh, the altar to get, to get it ready for the sacrifice. Uh, up to the horns of the altar. And then the king comes, places the sacrifice there, and, and then he ends it. He says, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then on his behalf, or the king, on behalf of the people, uh, slays the, the sacrifice, and, and the, the sacrifice is roasted, and the people celebrate um, in praise and thanksgiving for the good things that God has done for them. Well, uh, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you, you heard near the end, uh, when the congregation cries out, they say, blessed, save us, we beseech you, save us, that's uh, Hosanna, as we, we sang earlier, Hosanna, save us, O Lord, we beseech you, give us success, and then they continue, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, we bless you from the house of the Lord, the Lord is God, and he has given us light. That blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, they're, they're, they're uh, talking to the, about, the, about the king as he's come forward, blessed happy. He's, he's done so well. He's, he's had this success. Blessed is, is he who comes in God's name. In God's name he has victory. In God's name he has approached. So yes, um, some people think that the, the, the testimony 
and the king, which I had as two separate people, really are supposed to be the same person. Um, that originally this wasn't about kings per se, but originally it was just about a person who wanted to come and give thanks. Anybody. But as the years passed, and as Israel was more and more surrounded by political enemies, the, the, the idea of a king uh, became more and more, um, more and more prevalent until the point of the uh, revol revolt of the Maccabees in about 100 years before Jesus. At this time, the Israel, Israelite people had been taken over by a, uh, a foreign oppressor, Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, Maccabees, Judas Maccabee, he r rises up. He, he gathers Israel together. They rise up. They, they rebel. They kick out the enemies. They uh, spill a lot of blood. But they win, and they secure freedom, only temporarily. But for a time, they secure freedom for Israel. And after this happens, it's recorded in, in uh, some of our apocryphal literature, that, that the Maccabees reenacted this Psalm 118, that, that Judas literally came forward. He, he walked uh, in, into the temple, into the city gates. The people did indeed say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they did something. They, they waved palm branches, which uh, is, is perhaps a bit new. Um, so on your note sheets, it says uh, the Psalms uh, was likely part of a temple worship service where Israel gave, gives thanks for military victory. Now, I'd just like to add in a little thing about palm branches. Um, you all remember, uh, well, for those of you who are old enough, September 11th. Um, I remember, one of the most interesting things to me is I remember the three months after uh, September 11th, I was in college. Colleges are notoriously anti-American places. Um, very few people in college seem to appreciate the country that gives them the opportunity to spend four years learning and doing very little else. Nevertheless, uh, people are, are not a big fans of America in college. That said, for the three months that uh, followed September 11th, even the most jaded, even the most jaded people on our campus, you'd see them with a little American flag pin. You remember this. You remember those three months, right? Those three months when the whole country was united for the first time in, in living memory. Uh, I had never seen anything like it. Even the professor who was uh, just a real radical, even that guy was proud to say, this is, this is who I am. I'm part of this country. And he wore the flag. Yes? You remember this. And, and interestingly enough, if you think about that period of time, those three months, you know, we hadn't yet uh, invaded Afghanistan or Iraq. There was a, a confusion about what was going to happen. But there was a sense that this flag united a very, very different uh, uh, people all over from different walks of life, whether you're from Texas or New York, you're still an American. Um, interesting point of historical fact, which I believe is true. Again, if it's not, talk to my father. He'll be able to straighten you out. But apparently when the United States began, um, people didn't refer to themselves as Americans first. You were a Virginian first. You were an, what, a New Yorker first. You were from May a Mainer. Is that a Mainer? A Vermonter? A Massachusettser. That's who you were, right? And secondarily, you were one of the people who was part of the states that were together in this thing called America, right? Now, uh, after the Civil War, um, it became more and more the sense that we're all Americans. We're all one people, with the exception, of course, Dan of Texas. Texas, they're still Texans first. Don't, mex don't mess with Texas. Look out. Uh, yeah, I've only met like a few Texas people, but man, they're crazy. 
I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking, but you know, God bless you. Uh, yeah. So, so Texas, they're different, but the rest, the rest of us, we think of ourselves as Americans first. Um, so there's this sense where we all unite. We're all one people under this flag. Yes. And then there's a second thing in the aftermath of September 11th, the flag, uh, there was an implicit, almost a threat behind it, right? We were, we were raising this symbol in the knowledge that a grievous wound had been inflicted on us, on us as a people. And you could feel it before it actually happened. You could feel it. Somebody was going to pay. There was this impending sense that the hammer was going to be brought down. And so the flag was not only something that, that united us as Americans, but it also reminded anyone who saw it that the swords were coming out, the long knives were coming. Well, in the, in the aftermath of the, the, the Maccabean revolt, in, in, in Israel, a palm branch became something like the flag of the United States of America. It, it came to symbolize not just um, a unity like we're all part of one country, although it did that, but especially after Rome takes over and after the people are, ha- have suffered under its oppression for long enough, it begins to take on the sense of a threat that the long knives have to come out again, just as they did with Judas Maccabee, just as they did in the face of Antiochus Epiphanes, the emperor must fall. He must be put off. In fact, uh, after, long after the time of Jesus, the, the, the Jewish people have two major um, wars they, uh, of, of rebellion, uh, finally culminating, uh, culminating, of course, in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Two wars the Jewish people fought. Interesting fact. What they did is they would mint their own coins, yes, uh, to show that the emperor's face isn't on our money anymore, right? Our economy is not ruled by that guy over there. Our economy is ruled by God. But you, there's no image for God. So what do they put on their coins? They put palm branches to remind everyone that the long knives were out, that the time of tyranny was over, that the emperor's time was past. And that the people would be free again. So let's read uh, John 12 with that in mind. So on your uh, outline, or on your, um, yeah, your, your note sheet, we begin. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. But Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things first. But when Jesus was glorified, and let me just pause to say it, glorified in the Gospel of John includes the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension to the kingdom of God. It's all together. Then they remembered these things that had been written of him and had been done to him. Hmm. Now, palm branches were etched into minted coins during the two Jewish wars for independence on your note sheet. Um, Jewish wars for independence. When the Maccabees successfully ousted foreigners, they were greeted by people waving palm branches. That's also in your, your sheet. 
So you can see where I'm going with this. The people have already begun to recognize that Jesus is the king. Yes? They, Hosanna, the king of Israel is here. And you'll notice, interestingly, if you compare um, the way that they're shouting to Jesus with um, the actual, the word they're quoting from in your, uh, in your um, Psalm 118 sheets, you'll, you'll, show, you'll see that in Psalm 118, uh, verse 26, it says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Where the people, they've changed this a little bit. They say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Right? They want it to be really clear what they think Jesus is doing. When they whip out the palm branches, and when they say the king of Israel is here, they're telling Jesus what they think he needs to be doing. They're saying, Jesus, we've seen you raise the dead. We have seen you feed the 5,000. In both of those cases, they've understood that he's king, but the idea of what a king is for them is revolution. It's draw the, draw the long knives. It's freedom. But, that's verse 14, but, but Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Uh, if you look in, uh, that's, this is my translation, if you look in other translations, typically you'll get something like and or then or so instead of but. Uh, the Greek word can mean any of those things. I think that, uh, especially in John, uh, the, the emphasis on the politics that are going on behind Jesus' uh, ministry are so pronounced that I think uh, what, what Jesus does by, by getting on a donkey is subversive. In fact, if you'll think about the other ways that you've heard the story when you read in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll notice that the whole thing about the donkey comes before we hear about the the. the the palm branches. Yes? If you remember, uh, Jesus sends some people out, some of his disciples, they secure a donkey. All this has gone on, but John waits to tell us. He waits to tell us about that. Why? Because he wants to contrast what Jesus is doing, what God is up to, with what the people are up to, the crowds. The people have an idea of how they need to be saved, what they want, what they need. And Jesus has a different idea about what they need. Nobody quotes, as Jesus is coming through, nobody quotes Zechariah 9.9, except John. John reminds us in uh, John 12.15, you look there, uh, there's a quote. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is John's adding in. He's reminding us. Why? Well, because the disciples, they don't understand these things. The disciples are lost. They don't get it. Let's read uh, Zechariah 9, 9, 9 through 10 together. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, Ephraim is, uh, that's another word for Israel. And Jerusalem, of course, signifies Israel. So what Zechariah is talking about, he's, he's not talking about, about a, a, a conquering hero, triumphant in battle. He's talking about someone who stops battle altogether. Chariots, cut off. 
bows cut off. Instead, he shall command peace to the nations. He's not riding in on a war horse. He's not riding in with the legions or the long knives. He's victorious, but he's humble and he's on a donkey. And so I think what John's getting at by waiting to tell us about the donkey is, is, to, is to shake us up. The people, they're ready. Revolution. Viva la revolution. God. Yes, we'll have a revolution. He is a king. Not the kind of king you think you need. And so in your note sheet, um, by riding a donkey, Jesus signals that he does not come to bring war. I'm not that kind of king. At the same time, Jesus, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, oh, put your palm branches away. I'm not, I'm not here in the name of the Lord. He doesn't say any of that because they're right. They are right. He is Messiah. He is the king. He is coming to, to rule over the world, just not like they think. There's an idea they have about what he's about, and there's an idea of what God has that what he's, about what he's about. And they're different. And so Jesus says, not the war horse, the donkey. I told Neil I was going to do this. I'm sorry. We've got, we've got 10 minutes. I promised Neil I was going to pull out a classic Neil move in the middle of a sermon. It's called the rabbit trail. It's where we just go off into something that's really cool, but maybe bores you. So if you want to check out for about four and a half minutes, that's okay. That's fine. We won't be mad. Uh, I, I, I just want to draw your attention to something amazing in, the, in, in John's text. This is so cool. Uh, Let's look back uh, in your note sheet to uh, the John text. In it, John, John 12, 13, uh, it says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. I've highlighted branches of palm trees, and I've already explained what, what palm trees meant. They were like waving the American flag as we get ready to, um, to, to draw the long knives. But it's so interesting the way John writes this. In the Greek, he uses two words that mean the same thing. So literally, it reads something like, They took branches of palm trees from branches of palm trees. And went out to meet him. And it's a little strange. In fact, uh, I'm just, this, this might come as a shock to you. I just want to give you like, a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, a lot of academics um, struggle with pride. Uh, a lot of academics maybe are even a little bit intellectually insecure. Um, and, and one of the things, you, I mean, you've probably never noticed this, but some, one of the things that happens, you're in class and the academic does his best to or her best, to show that he or she knows it all and has it all figured out. And you're kind of stupid. That happens. I, I, I admit it. It's true. Um, so, yes, you, yes, it, it does. Academics look, like to make fun of John. They do. It's true. They, because John's just another person that they want to just, I'm better than you. Yes. So even beginning in the 19th century, uh, academics would look at this and be like, oh, John, you fool. You don't know Greek. That's a terrible way to write that. They took branches of palm trees with branches of palm trees. I mean, come on, buddy. Couldn't you have just said branches of palm trees? I mean, come on. What, what, is, what is your problem? Well, academics. They're great. What academics didn't notice uh, for a long time was that the second time John says palm trees... He uses a word. I have it uh, down there for you under rise like the phoenix. It's phoenikos, right? 
Phoenikos. And it can mean two things. It can mean either a palm branch or phoenix. Uh, you've, heard the, you've heard of phoenix, right? Um, in fact, uh, in the first or second century, Clement, one of our church fathers, he has this whole passage where he compares Christ to the phoenix. He says there's this bird out there, and the bird, uh, it, dies, um, it dies one day, and with the sunrise, uh, it rises from the ashes to live again, the phoenix. When I was in Japan, uh, I went to a small Baptist church. There were uh, 15 of us. We met every week. Uh, 14 old Japanese farmers, me, <laughs> and, the, uh, and the pastor. Pastor, uh, he was an American expatriate. And he, the man, he was a Baptist preacher. He loved the Lord. And he always loved to show us this, uh, this, this picture. Anytime anybody new wandered in, he had to bust the picture out. I don't have the picture. It was from the 1970s. But this is the closest I could find on Google image search. It's on your note sheet. And you'll see that there's this big chasm. Yes? Um, on the left, it looks like there's, uh, I don't know, chaos. And on the right, it looks like we're moving into the promised land or something like that. And in the middle, there's a cross, right? And uh, Pastor Tom, he used to say that, Tom, Tom Tierney, he used to say this. He'd say, at Calvary... Jesus crosses across the sin chasm, and he would, he would hold this up. He would say this in English, and the Japanese farmers would be like, hmm. At Calvary, Jesus crosses across the sin chasm. Now, what he loved about this was that you see the word cross twice in the sentence, yes? But in, in context, it never means like a crucifix. It means cross, like go from one place to another. It means like a bridge, go across a bridge. But if you're listening for it and you have the visual and you have the picture to, to show you, you can see that what, what's being referenced is the cross of Calvary, the crucifix. At the cross, Jesus crosses across the sin chasm. Yes? There is this sense where, especially if you're in the first century, you're in an auditory culture where nobody can read, you hear these things over and over again, you, you start to pick things up, and so you're hearing, and John says, and, and the palm branches and of the phoenix. That's what you hear. You hear the palm branches for the phoenix, the one who rises from the ash on the third day. What's, what John's doing to those of us who have ears to hear and eyes to see is he's transforming the symbol. Palm branches used to mean viva la revolucion. Now palm branches mean exactly what they mean in our church at Coast Bible Church 2,000 years later when we wave. We mean the king of the kingdom of heaven is here. The risen one, the one whom death cannot hold back has arrived and we welcome him. The phoenix is here. And one day, we too shall rise. I just thought that was cool. I'm sorry. It, it sort of ties in. It's like this. There's these expectations. We need God to come and save us. We have real needs. We have real problems. For the crowd, it's the emperor and the way he disrespects and abuses the people of Israel. We have different problems. But they're real, real problems. 
We have money problems. We have addiction problems. We have relationship problems. We have problems coming out of our ears. And we do what is natural to do. We say, God, save us. God, I don't want to be dependent on this substance anymore. God, I want this relationship to work. God, I want, I I need, please, save me. Every one of you here, in one way or another, calls out to God in that. And the first thing I want to do is affirm you and say, God wants you to come to him from where you are. God does not demand that you become whatever before you tell him what you need. The Psalms are chock full of people who are sick or or ostracized or hurting, and they come to God from where they're at, and God approves and affirms that. So never think that when you call out to God, he's just too busy or he's got bigger fish to fry. That's not the case. Nevertheless, sometimes there's a difference. Sometimes there's a difference between what I want God to save me from and what God wants to save me from. In order to become the king of the world, in order to put sin and death in their place, Jesus didn't take up the long knives. Instead, he took up the cross. He said, I know you have real problems with the empire, but those are going to have to wait today because the whole world has a problem with the corruption and decay of sin and death that have been ruling it as far back as we can remember. And the message of God for us today is to know that sometimes it doesn't, it seems, it's like, God, I need this. Where, please. Um, I can't believe I'm here and I don't know how to get out. God hears you. He does. We wouldn't have the Psalms if he didn't. But sometimes God's saying, I'm, what I, the way I want to save you is, is like nothing you could have imagined. Maybe, maybe God has, has a, a salvation for you that is deeper and that is more real than anything you can possibly imagine. This is why Neil's uh, 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 introduction hit, me where, uh, hit the core of me. He said, he said I, I, I felt like I knew what I needed to be saved from. But, but Casey revealed to me what I really needed to be saved from. Maybe there's something that you, it's never even occurred to you, a, a sin that's, that's, that's grafted into the deepest part of you. And maybe God's after that. Maybe the cross is, is, is aimed right at that, this Easter season. Maybe it's, it's a need to be loved. Maybe it's a need um, to, be, uh, to have status and to, to have people respect and think that you're, that, that you're all that. Maybe it's, it's a, a need to be appreciated. It, uh, who knows how deep and, and how far uh, uh, sins and, and, and weaknesses can, can get inside of us. But maybe there's something. And it's not all the things that you think you need God to save you from. Maybe there's something deeper and farther down and, and harder to see. And maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging and saying, 
this is what I'm after this Easter season. You've named me Lord. You've named me King. Well done. Now, unlike the crowds, I want you to let me be the king that I want to be. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny how the crowd says, Ah, the king of Israel is here. And as soon as he reveals what kind of king he wants to be, you find out in John that the crowd says, Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. It's a cautionary tale for us. Sometimes God wants to be a king that we don't want. And when that happens, just... That's when we have to echo Jesus in the Lord's Prayer when he says, your will be done. Yours. And that's the hardest thing in the world. God, you be the king that you want to be. You change me the way you want to change me. You change the world the way you want to change the world. And sometimes that'll be very much in line with the things that we perceive as our own needs. Other times it won't. And that's, that's the discipleship of Job. That's the discipleship that says, your will, not mine. Last thing. Psalm 118. If you go back to your, your sheet here. This is, uh, I want you to notice um, the very first verse and the very last verse, the worship leader begins and says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And the last verse, 28, the king cries out and says, You are my God, I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love, we talked six, seven months ago. Chesed, never give up always with you, never turn around, loyal until the end of ends, love. That's what that is. And so for those of us who are worried, who say, I'm just not sure I'm ready uh, to let you be the king that you want to be. To this I say, fear not. Your God loves relentlessly. He's never going to give up. He's never going to stop and quit on you. He's never going to just push you off to the side and say, fine. Think of what the crowd does. The crowd, be the king we want. Jesus says, no. The crowd says, fine, crucify him. And the Lord dies, not just for our sins, but for their sins too. Our God's love is limitless, and it never gives up, and it never quits. And it is for all and sundry, any who will hear it and come. The crucifixion of God, when, when the people have said, not for us, God says, I don't care, I love you that much. And so for those of us who are lost and are confused and we don't know how we're going to get through the next day, and we're waiting desperately on God to address our needs, and maybe God is, is, is saying no, even in that, know that he will never give up on you. Ever. For those of, uh, of us today who are in mourning, he will never give up. For those of us who are in joy today, know that that is because God never gives up. Even when there's a difference, and it, we can't get over it between what we want and what God wants, his steadfast love 
never gives up. Let's pray. Lord, we cry out as one people today, Hosanna, save us, God. Save us your way. We pray, God, that you give us the the humility and the strength to allow you to be the king that you want to be in our lives, in our church. We thank you that even when the people rejected your kingship, you, you loved them all the same. You died for them all the same. That your character is to never quit on your love. We pray, God, that 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 never quit love will overwhelm us, will encourage us again to say, welcome, blessed are you coming in the name of the Lord. God, we pray as one people that you will be our king, the crucified and risen and glorified one this day, every day, until you return again and unite us to those we've lost. We bless you, God, and in the name of your Son, who makes our lives and our hopes possible, we pray. Amen.